Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Live from the Sizzler, where we are all having rare steaks and going after rare blue items in World of Warcraft, because, well, who's not into rare things? This is the award-winning stamp show here today, episode number 232, brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center. This is Tom. This is Cash. This is Scott. This is Mark. This is Albert Chang. So first off, in response to the discussion we had on stamp investments and certifying, we got an email. Stamp grading is a principal concern here to establish a sense of trust, and because the buyers are assumed to be novices who could easily be convinced by a dealer that the item they bought was less than represented. Dealers are not friends of this program. And that was sent to us by Richard Lehman. Thank you, Richard. Thanks, Richard. So that's, in an, if I understand the perspective, is he's saying that when a person who bought a certified stamp goes to a dealer to sell it, that he has proof that it does have value. Is that? I think it goes both directions. Remember what we were speaking about was uh, investing in stamps and the person who is investing not necessarily having a full range of knowledge. Right. So uh, a certi- certificate removes a lot of the risk. Involved. Well, a graded certificate because you can look up the value well, yeah, a graded, by grade. A graded certificate is still better because then you can compare apples to apples. Yeah. Right. But even a certificate, I mean, if a stamp has faults and it's not graded, you know, right. someone could sell you something and it has a repair on the back. Well, realistically... The dealer may or may not know. Right. And a novice collector may have no clue. Right. I, I Well, I, I have this come up all the time. A graded certificate versus a certificate. All certificates are graded certificates. Every single one. Now, they may not have a numerical grade on it, but it still is addressing the grade. It's addressing the condition of the gum faults and the like it's just that it's not saying this is fine or very fine or extra fine or whatever like that fair enough yeah i think a graded certificate is important especially on items that have been frequently counterfeited yeah. coil stamps for instance five points oh, yeah. coil stamps for instance so i must have missed that episode oh the 476a episode no the the investment mm. episode yeah that was the same one no, oh, was it? Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, that was the second part. <clears throat> That's when you were away at <clears throat> stamp shows last week. See all the fun you miss. Yeah, <laughs> those pesky stamp shows. Well, before we continue on, we have Albert Chang with us today. Albert, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Because you're going to be on more than this today, you're going to be uh, semi-regular, right? Well, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a consultant, which means I'm going to do what I've done at the Philatelic Foundation and for the APS, and that is uh, in the Hawaiian Philatelic Society, and that is uh, expertise when I come in 
I'm moving back here after having taken care of my parents for the last 12 and a half years. So I've been out of I've been out of stamp dealing, but I've continued to uh, look online and see what's been happening. I envy what has been sold, but um, I look forward to uh, looking at interesting items. Oh yeah, we get them. But I've been expertizing since 1977 when I started at the Philatelic Foundation, and uh, hopefully I will continue to uh, aid aid in that aid in. Uh, expertizing. Well, thank you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And we have breaking news. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit sided with Doug Carlson, a private citizen who filed a petition against the Postal Regulatory Commission rate hikes. He does that every year. Well, every time there's a rate hike. Yeah, this guy he, is he's famous out of, for... He's out of California. He does this all the time. <laughs> he finally won one. Yep. <laughs> the court said the PRC failed to consider all factors related to the increase, thereby file, violating the Administrative Procedures Act. Sounds like a technicality, but we'll accept it. The immediate fallout of the decision was not immediately clear as the Postal Service said that it is considering our legal options. By the court's own admission, an invalid rate increase can result in overpayment to the Postal Service without any means of recovery. USPS was forced to quickly slash the price of stamps as recently as 2016 when PRC and an appeals court ruled the mailing agency had to roll back the emergency rate increase it imposed in response to the recession. So that without any means of recovery is code for you can't go to the Postal Service and say, hey, I paid 55 cents for this and I want my five cents back. Or uh, you bought forever stamps, right? And uh, you want to cash them in for the old forever rate instead of the new forever rate. Right. Yeah, there's no refunds. (laughs) The five cent increase, a 10% jump was the largest ever hike for a stamp and the largest by percentage this century. Well, so, I mean, we're only 19 years in the century, so. Yeah, but 10% is still pretty big. <clears throat> yeah. Well, when we went from... Uh, One cent to two cent, yeah, that was yeah. pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> the court called the hike remarkable and lacking in justification. To quote, the commission failed to provide an adequate explanation for the stamp price hike and relatedly failed to respond to public comments challenging the stamp price hike under the 2006 Postal Accountability and Enhancement Act. The PRC simply crunched the numbers and determined the Postal Service's proposal complied with its statutory caps for price increases. While USPS cannot raise its rates by more than inflation, the agency adjusted the prices of other products to enable a larger increase for stamps. The court said the commission failed to address public concerns regarding the Postal Service's argument it had to use a round number divisible by five for simplicity's sake. Yeah, yep. that's... That's unique. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can see them not raising it four and a half cents. So let's, let's review. 29, 32, 33, 34, 37, 39, <laughs> 41, 42, 43... No, 44. Or 44... Did we go to 45? Didn't we have 40? We had 49, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. 
But all of those are divisible by five. That's yeah. my point. You just right. have a yeah, fraction at the end. He has stuff at the end. That's yeah. all. <laughs> we haven't been divisible by five since the 25 cent rate <laughs> is my point. Unless you Until go by we fractions. Hit 50, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then we zoom past 50. Nothing between 25 and 50. <laughs> it's like a gallon of gas. Every gallon of gas in the United States ends in nine-tenths of a cent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think we did 44 then forever. Because after that, it was well, yeah. For, yeah. Well, it was forever. forever, but they still had a value that <laughs> right, was yeah. not divisible by five. Right, yeah. Well, forever is divisible by five. Yeah. It, yeah, it starts with F. <laughs> <laughs> and you just buy five stamps. Therefore, it's divisible by five. All right. The effect of the increase on the general public and the possibility that the increase would lead to a further reduction in mail usage... PRC argued it had to rush its review, but the court said there is no law requiring a speedy decision by the commission. Congress directed the commission to serve as more than just a rubber stamp of the Postal Service's proposed rate increases, the court said. Carlson, who brought the challenge to the D.C. Circuit, said he was pleased with the decision and confident he would prevail. He is a private citizen with a law degree who does not practice law professionally. Yeah, but he does this professionally. He has engaged with the Postal Service on behalf of the public as a hobby since the mid-1990s. Yeah, that's his hobby. Yeah, some hobby. Litigating with the United (laughs) States Postal Service. Well, one person can make a difference. In the court's ruling, they invoked the early days of U.S. history. Although the five-cent stamp price hike may have gone unnoticed by many, I'm not sure that went unnoticed. Yeah. The American Revolution was fomented in part by ordinary people who objected to taxation through stamps. While Carlson raised his concerns, in less fraught times, the courts nonetheless ordered the price hike vacated. Yeah, let's throw all our stamps into Boston Harbor. Well, you know, a lot of my used stamps do need soaking. (laughs) (laughs) It is like the census and other government court cases. They need to back up their numbers better and give better reasoning. Look forward to them refiling for an increase with better graphs and charts and dogs and ponies. This is a rare time that the Postal Service increase was reversed. Speaking about rare. Today we're going to discuss what makes a stamp rare. There are lots of stamps out there. Each country made a bunch of them from as early as 1840 up to today. And they still will make more in the future. Except for Iceland. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Many regular issue stamps today are printed in the billions, so that must mean there are no rare stamps. But the Australian stamps are not not at all common on U.S. mail, so are Australian stamps rare? In the United States. Are U.S. stamps rare in Australia? What makes a stamp rare? In doing a little research, it seemed that relating the percentages to devastating and disastrous diseases might make sense. There are several references out there that say, very common affects more than 1 in 10 people, 10% or higher. Common affects between 1 in 100, so 1 to 10%. Uncommon affects between 1 in 1,000, so 1% to 1 tenth of 1%. Rare affects between 1 in 10,000, one-tenth of 1% to one-hundredth of 1%. 
very rare, affects less than 1 in 10,000 people, less than 1 one-hundredth of 1%. So this gives us the usual terminology of rarity, but getting away from diseases, for stamps, it is the most often supply and demand. 10,000 is rare if there's a million people that want one and have the money to chase after one, driving the price up. But doing the math, that is one-tenth of one percent, which is actually only uncommon. You need 1,000 of an item for those one million people to chase if you want it to be rare. But what if nobody cares? Is 1,000 rare or isn't it? Yep. If a stamp is not popular, it is not going to be valuable. So if there's a thousand of an item and only ten people want it, it's very common. Yeah, yeah. everybody can yeah, have a hundred of them. Yeah, <laughs> it's still rare based on its population, but it's not going to be an expensive item. So rarity doesn't not necessarily always correlate with value. Didn't we have this discussion before, the difference between rarity and scarcity? Way back in the day, I'm sure we did. We've done 230 podcasts. I'm sure that we've addressed rarity and scarcity before. I, I know once. we have because yeah, I, rem- I recall Jeff's uh, being on the podcast for that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> rarity is a term with varied meaning depending on the collectible item. And rarity does not always equal great value. For example, in recent years, the manufacturers of sports cards have made it a big part of their business to package rare cards as random inserts in their products in order to entice people to buy them. Many of these are very limited to only 100 or 50 or possibly even fewer. Some are even what is called one of one, meaning it is a unique card. You can't get any rarer than that. Well, unless you didn't make one. Yeah. Then it would be completely scarce. (laughs) (laughs) But I bet you search eBay for one of one, you'll encounter some trading cards that didn't sell for that much money. Why? Because this is manufactured artificial rarity, and many old-time collectors see right through the gimmickry and don't touch the stuff. Gold foil stamps, anyone? Hmm. Hey, there are some gold foil stamps that have value. Well, I like, and I always sell, and they always sell very well, the uh, gold foil um, Elvis Presley and Marilyn Monroe. Gold foil stamp covers sell for, uh, let's say, a quarter. Usually, if you buy them in bulk, you can get them for a dime. But the Elvis Presley, if it's unaddressed, will easily sell for 25 bucks. And the uh, Marilyn Monroe sells for between $25 and $35. So there are some. uh, Yeah, it really gets into what is a collectible. And in my um, opinion, this is is how I go by it. For something to be collectible, it has to have nostalgia or it has to be historical. It has to have a story behind it. It has to be something. The second one is it has to be used. It has to be scarce in new condition. It can't be like everything is like boxed as a rare item. Uh, the third thing is it has to be marketable. It has to be legal to own and it has to be able to sell. There are some collectibles that 
you can't sell and so they're not collectible or that you can't own properly. Like you can't collect cats. You may have a lot of cats, but you can't collect them. I don't know. Let's talk to some of the crazy cat ladies. Yeah. <laughs> I think they have quite a collection of cats. And then the fourth thing, which is really the most important part, is it has to be a depreciable item. Um, G.I. Joes were played with by kids and destroyed and lost. Comic books were thrown away by the mothers after they were read, and the kids scribbled on them and used everything. If it wasn't a depreciable item, if it didn't get used up, then it's not a collectible. If you buy the... 100 anniversary Barbie uh, in the gala dress inside of the box and then keep it in the box and it says on the box collectible Barbie by definition in my terms that is not a collectible as for numbers that too varies as we said low numbers made on purpose don't always translate to valuable but when it comes to things that are collected by many many people a number that may seem large to you is actually pretty small. An example would be the 1995 proof silver eagle coin that was minted at West Point. There are a lot of collectors of these coins. Over a million were made the first year, and after that they averaged about 550,000 coins per year. But in 1995, the U.S. Mint made a special 10th anniversary set of coins and included as a bonus was a silver proof like the others with the W mint mark instead of a P mint mark. There were 438,000 P coins made, but there were only 30,125 W coins made. That is less than 10%, but in the common definition. In spite of that, the W coins sell for about $2,000 and the P coins sell for about $75, a remarkably large difference. 30000 of a special baseball card or a collector's plate or a toy or whatever is actually a pretty big number and not rare at all. But for a coin that an awful lot of people collect, it's a very small number and rare. Collector's plates. Not good collector's <laughs> items, as it turns out. Well, I have Again, a... If it's made to be a collectible, it's not a collectible. I, I would point you to the circus uh, souvenir sheet mm -hmm. where there was um, a, uh, a regular perforated sheet. Then there was an imperforate sheet um, that was sold in press sheets. And then there was an imperforate sheet that was die cut. And you could only buy the die cut if you bought the year set mm -hmm. for 60 bucks for that or $65 for that year. What I find amazing, though, is... I bought 10 of those books, by the way. What, what I find amazing is you paid 20 bucks for the book, and the rest of it was all postage. You paid right. face value for the postage. Yeah, right. So, But the catalog refuses to list it because you had to buy the book to get the stamp. But but here's my point, is that the imperforate sheet from the press sheet is widely sold on eBay because there's a space for it in the album of imperforate issues. R right. But there is no space for in the, any album for the die-cut imperforate. Right. 
And so nobody's buying it, even though it's in, it's it's way more rare than the rest of them. Well, right. actually, it, I do see them sell. I uh, I've seen prices in like the seventy five dollar range. Albert, you you deal with this stuff. Do you, have you ever seen? No, you're shaking your head. People don't see you shaking heads. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, I don't deal in modern postage. Well, it's not postage though, and it is right. a kind of rare. I mean, item. I see it. I see it listed for seventy five dollars, but I don't see it sell for that much. Um, I see it sell for that yeah. much, but yeah. And uh, I've seen a price much higher. Yeah. Well, when they initially came out, um, I saw them listed for around $100, yeah. $99, and they didn't sell at all. Well, I believe they made 1,000 press sheets, right? Well, it might have been more. But yeah, there, there's a lot of the press sheet, the, the imperforate non-die cut there's a lot of those around yeah but the and those but sell the die for about cut, twice face right they oh, sell I, for four I or five dollars yeah though. yeah exactly yeah but the die cuts say more than that but they're 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 a lot more scarce i'm not sure how many were actually sold very few from yeah. what i understand uh e- even though people knew that that uh, they were going to be included right um because the scott catalog refused to list them and therefore won't put them in their albums they uh they become n- of no interest to yeah, the so vast majority of collectors. Yeah, it, it's the kiss of death if you not only don't have a space for it in the album, but also Scott doesn't list it. Right. It's, oh, it's, yeah, that's a double whammy. It's kind of like the APS Black Blot. Yeah. That's the same idea. That's how they've been treated. Yeah. And I, I, I think at this point the Scott catalog needs to be a – uh, a, a record of what's out there, not oh, it doesn't meet our listing policy, but you know that whether it, it it's collectible should be dictated by the collector deciding whether they should collect it, not by the catalog deciding whether they should list it and put it in their printed albums. Well, but look what happened with the two dollar Ginny reprints. Scott Catalog wasn't going to list the. Reverted, I guess. Yeah. Planes. <laughs> the uninverted. Uninverted. Yeah. uninverted. uninverted. Yeah. And then they sell and start selling and for a hundred thousand dollars each. And then they were gonna they were gonna be footnoted because it was a, an artificial yeah. thing according right. to them. Right. But they ended up listing it because people put pressure on them to do so, right? Yeah. At the Omaha APS uh, convention, they had there were a number of dealers buying those sheets from the post office, and I was told it was just a crapshoot. People were just going to use them as postage if they if they didn't find one of the that that's generally true. And from what I understand, they're no lo- they aren't mixed in, so there's really zero percent chance that you're going to get one at this yeah. point because all of the other after the IG in investigation, uh, the ones that they had left, which were not mixed in with the uh, general uh, stock anyway were removed and placed in a secure location. So as far as I'm aware, they were never mixed in, and they still haven't been mixed in, and they're still sitting in some vault somewhere. Right. Yeah, the IG they, found them sitting on a guy's desk. Yeah. Yeah. They so, had 100 so at this point, they printed 100. So at this point, buying you know, 10000 or $20,000 worth of inverted jennies from the Postal Service is going to yield you a 0% chance of getting one of the right-side-up ones. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because nobody knows right now how many are out there, but there's probably just slightly more than 50. 
Actually, I think it's slightly less than 50. Slightly less than 50? Okay. But yeah, right around half half of them are in the marketplace or in collector's hands. And you kind of wonder how many people bought them and just used them. I heard there might have been, been one uh, lady up in northern Nevada that mailed some on a package to Australia. But uh, other than that, I haven't heard of anybody possibly yeah. using one. Well, because if only half of them are known, I mean, unless the guy literally has 50 of them sitting on his desk. that's uh, Well, that's something we may never know. Oh, we won't. That is true. We won't ever Cause they're, know. Because they're stored in some vault right next yeah. to the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It it may be a, it may be discoverable in in some kind of uh, freedom of information um, request. Yeah. yeah, maybe we can get that guy that's uh, suing the postal service to find out for us. Right. So Albert, since you're here, we're going to pick your brain. What is the rarest item you ever had that wasn't worth anything? <laughs> the scarcest item. The scarcest item you've ever had that isn't worth anything. I can't. I can't think of anything. That was, I've, I've been thinking the other way around. I've been thinking, what do I think is the rarest thing? I've, I would say it's probably the unused two cent Hawaiian missionary, because mm-hmm. there's only one yep. of those. Yep. And and uh, Hawaii is an area that's always, if you take each, if you uh, stamp collecting started in the 1850s. So if you teach, if you take each decade of the countries that were popular, Hawaii has always been popular up to the up to the present day, and so. Um, everybody wants to own the two cent Hawaii missionary. That's there's only 15 of them in the, in the world, and uh, six, six or seven of them are in museums. So to get one period, yeah, is a, is a great thing. I mean, I've handled three, and I don't think there's many people who can say that. Well, it's exactly three more than I've handled. Yeah, <laughs> I may have a candidate. Uh-oh. I have a revenue stamp, a 1918 $20 stock transfer um, revenue stamp with the overprint reading down. They're only known with the overprint reading up. And uh, I have what's probably the discovery copy because I got it enlisted in the Scott catalog, and it's in there as a dash. And um, so it's, uh, it, it may be unique, and it may be uh, worth almost nothing. Well, it can't be unique because it came out of a sheet, but right, <laughs> right. But it may be the only one. Well, but but you don't kn- right now. You don't know that the the specimen wasn't printed the wrong way. I mean, look at the five cent Carmine Washington. You know, you have what number? Has a couple of numbers. I forget the numbers. The five center that's oh, surrounded well, and it's which, supposed to be two. Which perf? Well, I guess that's why I said there's a couple of four sixty seven, four sixty seven, forty five, and five oh five. But that's, you know, God, yeah. You in that case, those numbers. were on ev- those were on every sheet for a while, of course, while till they discovered it. But you know, once yep. to say, you know, it's not just that one position, right. you know. And there may be fifty or a hundred of them, depending on how you know who knows how many sheets they printed before they, you know, went. Oops. Yep. Yep. You can't say if it's in the catalog that it's valueless. If you put it into an, an auction, it will sell for something. Right. There right. are a number of items that I've had certified here uh, that uh, I didn't even know they got into the catalog until I went down to the public library <laughs> in Los Angeles because only the Central Library has a full set of Scott catalogs. Uh, I found out that the uh, the uh, two-cent Carmen Lake uh, 1894 uh, unwatermarked issue – 
I had found a double impression. I had not submitted it yet to Scott, but uh, but uh, Mr. Murphy here had submitted it to, to Klutzel, so it was in the catalog. But it still has a dash. Right. But I plan but I plan to give it to a nice auction house, and I expect it to sell for at least a couple thousand dollars. Yeah. Well, I think the catalog listing gives it legitimacy, in which case it will give it value because a lot of times there are collectors out there that are looking for these things, can't find them. Uh, yeah, but, if I can get a space the, in, a, in a stamp album. If the, if the then. album, <laughs> if it's not in a printed album right. or the catalog doesn't give it a legitimate uh, nod by giving it a number, then it's difficult to tell what some things are worth because nobody people just well it's not listed so i'm not going to try and find one right well, that's the whole thing too is what's the difference between a price that's a dash a price that's in italics or just a normal price well a price in a a normal price is a normal price and it's something that suppose is in theory uh regularly changes hands at that value well it's also in theory a grade 80 stamp in in italics that's a stamp that trades infrequently and it may be a year two years out of date because it hasn't legitimately traded and so it's difficult to value but that's generally the last value or the estimated value because a lot of times they'll adjust it up or down the um the inverted jenny plate block is a good example it's sold for three million dollars so they but it's in italics because it has not traded hands since now uh, there's a certain after a certain period of time they'll change it to a dash because you know they don't want to say well did it go up did it go down is it inflation is it market economics what they don't know and sometimes it's just because they don't know that the item still exists now the jenny plate block we know still exists but there are other items that have not traded in 50 years and that's because nobody's seen one in 50 years so they're fairly certain that it existed when it got listed in the catalog but they have no idea what the price might be today, and therefore they would put a dash. The, uh, the former catalog editor, now he's a consultant, Jim Klotzel, has asked me if from time to time if I've ever seen such and such a Scott variety, and if so, do I have an image of it? So every once in a while when I do see it, I actually have been able to, to uh, get the Scott catalog to just agree that it does exist. And yet in some things... Uh, for many years, they used to list a uh, an inverted overprint on the one cent Guam of 1899, but I proved that the one genuine, the one allegedly genuine copy that has a 1946 certificate, I proved that it was counterfeit. Uh-oh. So that's why. So that's why it was delisted. Yeah. Well, my favorite rarity story is uh, I have a, in the 1850s they had express mail, and express mail basically. <sighs> meant that it went by train. It was a specific route. Well, this was actually a train come a steamboat connection, and it was St. John's. So I have a red St. John's steamboat express mail cancel on a U.S. number 26. Uh, it was noted in Alexander 
that it was was, black ones are incredibly rare. It was noted that red one had been seen, but nobody knows where it is. I have two red that I got from the same place and uh, they are probably one of three. I have two of the three. And so three of them in the world and they might be worth like 25 bucks, maybe 50. So in other words, you're hogging two thirds of the world's supply. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I've got two thirds of the world's supply, but you know, I was, uh, I asked a person, you do, I, well, I was asking uh, Stanley Piller, uh, you know, do you, these may be unique. Uh, what do you think they're worth? And he goes, uh, I put them up for a hundred bucks. I was like, you know, that's as rare as it gets and as cheap as it gets. <laughs> well, I had a, um, you know, not being the monster stamp collector, some of you guys are. <laughs> when I was doing Disney pins, one of my favorite characters has always been Tigger. Yep. And I was collecting the pins. So I tried to create a list of all the, the pins that were out there, common, uncommon, limited edition, not limited. And I found this set of pins that was the same exact pin, but it was in different colors, different like background colors. And I came to find out that these were pins that were awarded to Disney store employees if they got a letter of recommendation from a customer for for service, which how many people write letters to a company to say, this person gave me great service at the store? I never did see one, but the top one was if you were a Disney store employee and you got 10 letters... (laughs) Over the course of your career, you'd work your way up and you'd get one that was a, a black, had a, was black with Tigger on as a black rectangle. And I'm like, they had to have made them because they were an award thing. But did they ever give one out? Because they were given to the employees as like, you know, it's like yeah. a, a congratulations thing. But I mean, I imagine one is hard to get a person to write in, but to get 10 letters of recommendation to your company well, you at know, the with, Disney store, I'm like, I don't know if one of these was ever put out into the world or if they were all just in a box at well, the Disney store's headquarters. I want, I want a pin because uh, I've know, gotten with, two letters saying that I thank you. you know, with, I did a good with job. With email, it wouldn't surprise me if um, oh, yeah. it'd be more likely that someone would have a... Uh, a thank you by email, which would should count for a, a pin like that. But uh, today, somebody actually taking the time to write an actual physical yeah, letter I know. Is, well, is not well, a, a reasonable expectation. I don't know about writing a letter, but nowadays we do it online. Um, yeah, it's an if email. You, if, you, if, you, just, if you go to the Smith's Market, you get a survey to take, mm-hmm. and you you've do the survey and you say that you're highly satisfied, but then you mention who actually gave you good service. I'm always I'm always online and I'm writing a review on Yelp and on uh, Google Maps and occasionally TripAdvisor. And when I have a, when I have good service, I always try to mention the person because I know a, a, an attaboy is always very helpful. Oh, I hate those. I get it. Would you grade us? He's like, no. I gave you your money. You gave me my thing. I'm out of here. <laughs> Do not impose more labor on me. 
Well, in Los Angeles, they have special they have special parties if you're one of the people that don't that. Uh, See that? And, and, for instance, uh, you become a Yelp elite. Oh God! They, oh, they, they 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 you get to try all kinds of interesting oh, restaurants okay. and See, now entertainment that's not, venues. Cash can't say that because that's not entirely true. Because I know how much labor he puts into filling out the Del Taco survey so he can get a dollar off. Oh, that, that <laughs> is true. That is true. <laughs> so I'm going to call you out on that one because I, I yeah. Well, you get your kids to fill it out anyway. Yeah, I give, I give it to Sean and he Child goes through labor. He, he he gives everybody fives and uh, writes down the number and then you get a dollar off coupon. There you go. Yeah, but yeah, that I'm getting paid for. If 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 you know, I go some places like oh, by the way, here's an email. You know, but most of those have something to that regards. I mean, yeah, it's not always a dollar off coupon like Del Taco, but it's like some of like take this survey and you're entered to win a five thousand dollar gift card to Best Buy. You know, that might be worth my time. I probably won't win, but it'd be nice to get a five grand, you know, coupon to Best Buy. Yeah, I I went to see the person who actually got that five thousand dollar coupon to Best yeah, Buy. Yeah, me me too. Yes, yeah. I mean it. It would to me it would make more sense if you gave out a hundred of those and made it 50 bucks. Yeah. Because more people would get it, the award. And I think that would be better for PR than, than just one $5,000 reward. Well, if you go to uh, Yang, the uh, candidate for president, if you go to his website, he's going to give you what? A thousand dollar, thousand dollars a month for a year. Yeah. <laughs> so you but get... it's only 10 people. Well, and he says 10, Ten of the people watching tonight. Well, but how do you know if I'm watching or not? <laughs> I. Yeah, but I'll bet you he you have more chance of getting twelve thousand bucks out of him than five thousand bucks out of Target by <laughs> filling out the questionnaire. You're probably right. So you're saying that that those awards are rare. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Act, yes. Actually, actually, somebody does always win. Uh, the library district uh, in Henderson always has a summer reading program. One year I won. I don't know why. I didn't win anything that was useful. I just donated it right back, but I won what the grand prize. It was a dinner. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was, a, it was a dinner. It was a nice dinner. It was probably about a $200 dinner. But uh, since I had donated some of the prizes, I didn't think it was fair that I won one of them. My dad won a BMW Z3. My family, if you count everybody all together, my brother won $1,000 on the uh, California lottery. My, uh, my stepmother, since I live on the West Coast and they're on the East Coast, my stepmother used to take my dad to this uh, museum that had a Father's Day kind of thing. And she would buy him one entry every year. It has 100 bucks. But the grand prize was always something huge, and all the prizes were worth more than a hundred bucks. But one year, the grand prize was a brand new BMW Z3 Roadster, yeah. and they pulled my dad's name. Oh. well, not not to uh, you know blow my horn or anything like that, but I did get a cup that said "World's Best Dad" on it. Oh, so. invaluable. <laughs> much did you have to pay to enter that one? <laughs> <laughs> you're still paying for it, right? Well, you're talking. What's your rarest item? <laughs> shut, up and, shut up and contribute. <laughs> oh. I don't know. There's so many. But the problem is most of the rare items that I have, 
are um, also tend to be worth a lot of money or worth something anyway. Okay, well, get um, one of your rare worth a lot of money items. A one and a quarter cent Liberty coil. I have a imperf pair. It it is. Uh, there was a, a discovery of a strip of seven, and uh, I uh, happened to know the guy who discovered them. I got him listed, and convinced him to chop two off for me because uh, I like the Liberty series, and and uh, I have no idea what they're worth. Well, that's a goal. Cool but I paid. I don't know, six or seven, eight hundred dollars for it. You paid a real price. Yeah. I paid a real price for it. Um, my guess is it's worth multiples of that mm. now mm. because nobody can get them. Yeah. And uh, I think he cut up, cut off one other pair and kept the strip of three. So it's not like there's a whole large population of these things out there. Well, he should have like cut it into singles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, no. Um, you know, I, I've got a number of other things like that. The, um, and I mean, I've got some older things too. Um, but I, I think the, the modern stuff's just as interesting as the old stuff. Oh, yeah. the, the especially with the variety of printers out there, making all these tiny varieties, it, it's even more of a of a a minefield as far as education goes. Much more so than the classics. You know, the one cent Franklin has all the different types and platings and all that but then you get into the modern stuff okay which printer is it and did they screw it up and did, uh, is there a counterfeit and I, I just I just find it as as enjoyable a pursuit with the modern stuff at a, at a lower dollar value than it is at the classic stuff that can be harder to find now oh. you've got the imperforate magic sheet of the three right I do there, there's like 21 in, uh, well, that's not all that we found. The post office found some. But mm-hmm. they destroyed but they, them. But they destroyed yeah. them. Right. Uh, but mm-hmm. as far as I know, only about 21 of them got out, sold to the public. And I was able to get a hold of one of those. And Siegel sold one for $1,000 uh, shortly after they were found. Oh, I know I know an item that I got that uh, is rare. And I know it's rare because I had done my Relics of History podcast. Do a search, Relics of History, subscribe, listen to it. Um, I collect 1850 to 1859, and I exhibit it. And I had said, you know, I, I show campaign covers. And for years, I said, no Millard Fillmore 1856 campaign cover exists. And then one came up in auction, <laughs> and I bought it. And that's the only one I know about. And then I took it to Stanley Pillar, and he goes, oh, I used to own that. And they go, well, why did you tell me? <laughs> I've said all these years that, you know, the Millard Fillmore doesn't exist. And here, this one does. And you bought that one for me, yep. right? Yep. You were my auction agent. Yes. I know. Um, so $400 for a, uh, actually $500 for a never before known, except to Stanley Pillar. <laughs> <laughs> it's also exciting to see new discoveries being shown, I saw a uh, ten cent three fifty six coil on a Coleman cover that had been dis- that uh, 
Mick Hadley had in his one-frame exhibit at Stamp Show in Omaha, and he said he bought it from a 93-year-old man. And I just, I'm very envious because there's, I now, that makes four covers known. I own the worst, the worst <laughs> cover, which I bought from George Wagner, and I bought it strictly for reference. It's on a, it's on a Washington cover uh, going to Rotefuchs. And uh, who's oh, a stamp? What? Going to Rotefuchs. Um, he was a, uh, a stamp dealer. Oh, okay. And, uh, but the cover, but the paper on the cover is all, uh, is all carbonized, so but the, the, the single used 356 is okay. Mm-hmm. But just to have one as reference. And I've, I've, I've always wanted to own an Orangeburg on a cover, but I, the one opportunity I had was the one that I saw that Skyler Rumsey had in, I guess, 2008 or 2007. And it just wasn't fresh enough to, to invest any money into. Well, did you see the uh, exhibit, I think it was at Omaha, where they had the Orangeburg on cover, plus they had the Tencent coil on cover, plus they had everything that the company um, sold that was shipped. Why w- why were they using a three-cent stamp? Mm-hmm. And so it showed the little metal uh, tablet container. Right, the Bell Ends container. Yeah. And uh, the Tencenter carried this, like, tube. like a, It looked like a tube of Rolaids. And uh, then they had a whole bunch of uh, two-cent and four-cent that I, uh, you know, was cool because it's Bell, but um, nobody knew, you know, if they don't have any real pre- premium to them. But uh, this one guy had a three cent Orangeburg and a ten cent from Bill Bell Bell Labs Bell Bell Lands Bell Lands, and um, that was impressive. That was a good exhibit. I, don't know. I was thinking about some of the uh, one of the older items I have. Um, is a uh, a six cent large banknote with a J grill, and it's used. And uh, I don't think there are very very many used J grill stamps out there. It's one of the few that's actually listed in the catalog. I can't imagine the population's very high. I mean, I I, I had to pay for it, but yeah. it's obviously a an extremely rare item. But I, it's just doesn't matter when it's from well when something exciting comes up um years ago there was a uh, damaged and repaired copy a used copy of the uh, 30 cent august the premier gravure Mm -hmm. and it was uh it had been certified in the 50s and then in the 60s and so uh, it was running a seagull sale and i bought it and uh, i just said i'll never see another one and uh eventually um uh I, Steve Rosen sold it to a New York dealer, um, and I was sorry to see it go. Mm-hmm. But I, but that's something that you know. You how many times you will you handle a used, other than a ten cent or maybe a twenty four cent? How many times will you handle a used uh, Premier Gravure? Well, they, that's the cool thing here at PSE. Uh, Scott can claim this. I can't because uh, the one cent Z grill came through when he was here. But here at PSE, I think that I have touched every single U.S. stamp short of maybe 10. And I'm guessing that Scott has touched every single one pretty damn close. Pretty close. Yeah. Um, I know for sure you haven't touched a B grill. That, yep. Or a uh, five-cent A grill. Well, I haven't touched several of the grills and several of the special printings. 
but I have touched a lot of special printings and a lot of grills. <laughs> well, there's there's a lot, a fair number of the newspaper special printings that I haven't. Oh, I'm talking front of the book. I mean, if you go back of the oh, book, yeah. there there are. Uh, I just got a big group of revenue stamps because of Mark. You you <laughs> you showed me your collection and go, gosh, I should start picking these things up. <laughs> and it's remarkable how uncommon, scarce, and rare some of these stamps are and you look it up and go wow you know i i take out a stamp and i go i have never had one of these and i've had a lot of stamps Man. wow this is really scarce i wonder what it catalogs and i look it up and it catalogs nine dollars <laughs> well, i i got one for you i uh i found a stamp a couple weeks ago and uh so i looked it up in the catalog and it had a Dash. It was a revenue stamp, a state revenue stamp. It had a dash. So I'm, hmm, how can I find out what this thing is worth? Because I was curious. So I sent a sent an email over to Eric Jackson. I says, hey, <laughs> what's this worth? It's a dash in the catalog. He's, hmm, I've never had one. Mark <laughs> Jackson's been in business a long <laughs> right. time, and he's never had one. So I was, hmm. Yeah, I'm so he, he took a stab at it. But uh, he'd never owned one, so I ended up selling it to him. So mm. now he how now he can't say he's never had one, right? But uh, yeah, that was that was a case where, it's, okay, it's listed in the catalog, but the guy who has probably the deepest stock of revenue stamps in the country <laughs> had never even had one. Well, what about our listeners? Anybody out there have any uh, stories they want to send us of rare items they have or have had or have been able to observe? It would be very cool to hear from you. Or found. Or found. You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, episode number 232. This was Tom. This was Cash. This was Scott. This This was was Mark. This is Albert. You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, seeking to advance all levels of the stamp collecting hobby through news, information, and collecting advice. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com to listen to the show, view images of the items we are talking about, and read the show notes. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook at Stamp Show Here Today and on Twitter at Stamp Show HT. If you have questions or comments about the show or have any topics you would like us to discuss, you can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.